0: Thank you choir. This morning, we're going to be looking at 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. And we're going to be looking at the Christian's role in government. So you can pray for me as I try to thread that needle this morning. So, starting in verse 13 of chapter 2 of 1st Peter, Peter writes, "Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution." This is the word of the Lord. Now the history of the relationship between Christians and the government is shrouded in both admiration and embarrassment. You know, the early church uh, decided that the best course of action as prescribed by Jesus was not to take up arms against the government, but rather their weapon of choice was to love their neighbor. And so they had great influence over their culture because of their love for one another as well as for strangers. And then, as you move into the Middle Ages of the church, instead of modeling good citizenship with their lives, the church entered into an affair with the state. And that resulted in the church using the state to carry out some of its plans and whatnot, and vice versa. And then you have in the early 1800s in India, Christians playing a vital role in the passing of a law that uh, sought to keep widows from being burned alive on the funeral pyre of their dead husband. And then as you move into the 1800s and the 1900s in England and and in the United States, Christians played an active role in the freedom of slaves and the implementation of Civil rights. So, throughout the centuries, you know, Christian citizens have influenced their neighbors and their countries for both good and for bad. And so the question is as Christians, you know, what should be our role in regard to the government? What should be our relationship with the government? Well, in every area of our lives, whether it be our relationship to the government or our relationship to any other aspect of creation, If we want to discover what God's will is, we need to look at the Scripture. And so this morning, I want us to consider what the Apostle Peter has to say about the Christian's role in the government. And as we walk through our passage this morning, I want to try to answer three questions. The first question is, what is the role of government? The second question is, what is the Christian's role in government? And the third question is, what do we do when governmental rule and Christian teaching disagree. To answer the first question, I want us to look at verses 13 and 14, which read, "...be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil." and to praise those who do good. Now I just want to make one little note here, that when he says to every human institution, uh, the word there is not really referring to some uh, kind of material, uh, inanimate institution, but rather to people. It's actually be subject to every human creature. But then he goes on to explain what he means by that, and that is these image bearers of God, these people, these human beings that... Uh, have positions of authority over you in your society. So we're to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution or creature or person of authority in our government. Now, as a Christian, we are to, to be subject to the government for those in authority. And did you notice why? At the very beginning, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now implied in this idea is that the government and the authority that it wields is derived from God. In other other words, it's God's plan to have government and to have us order society in such a way that humans can flourish. And so when we look to how we relate to the government, we have to look at it in correlation to how we relate to God as well. Just as we submit to God, in a way, we also submit to the government. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But this is what Paul says in Romans 13.1, which is a great parallel passage to this 1 Peter 2 passage. So in Romans 13.1, Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now remember, you may remember when when Jesus was before Pilate. Do you remember what Jesus told Pilate before he was crucified? You know, Pilate enters his headquarters and he says to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you an authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, "You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above." Now I think we see both in Jesus' response to Pilate as well as Paul's and Peter's writings, that government and authority, the authority they wield, is given by God, and it's meant to be used for certain purposes. So what is the purpose of government? Well, the purpose of government, or at least one of the purposes or functions of government, is to punish those who do evil and promote those who do good. The purpose of government is to maintain order so that humans can flourish. And the way they do that is by restraining evil and promoting the good. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, So according to these verses, we see the purpose of government, at the very least, is to maintain civil order and to promote human flourishing through the implementation of law and judgment. They simply tell us that government has authority. Now notice that Paul, nor Peter, they don't tell us what kind of government we should have. They don't say that we should have a monarchy or a dictatorship or a democracy or a constitutional republic. They don't get into all those details. All they say is... Government, in general, derives its authority from God and can be a very good thing. So with that said, let's try to answer the second question. What is is the Christian's role in government? Well, Peter, he shoots straight with us in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 13 and 14, he says, Well, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So in whatever country that you are a citizen in... You are to subject yourself to the government. And what that means is the word subject or submit means to voluntarily, willfully put yourself under the authority of that government or your governmental leaders. So here's the question. Why should you and I submit ourselves to our federal, state, and local governmental authorities? Why should we do that? Well, according to Peter, Paul, and Jesus, we just mentioned this before, government is given authority by God. In other words, the idea that mankind has leaders among itself that governs communities of people is a structure that's endorsed by God. But as Christians, the primary reason Peter says that we should submit ourselves to the government is for the Lord's sake. And we see that in verse 13. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And you know, by doing that, by submitting ourselves to the authority over us, we demonstrate our belief in a sovereign God. By maintaining a good life, a life of faith in Jesus Christ, in light of the ebb and the flow of governmental law, we show our neighbors that Christ is our King. Because our stability is rooted in Christ in His kingdom and not in the kingdom of the world. So, how does how does living out your faith demonstrate that Christ is king? Or Christ is your king? Well, here's what I see happening, and maybe you see this as well. If, if our well-being or our hope is tied too intimately with the kingdom of the world, the government, then When a certain person or policy is put in place, we become either arrogant or very angry or anxious. Let me explain. If if your well-being, if your hope is tied too intimately to the kingdom of this world, the government, then when a certain person, your candidate, for example, or your policy that you approve of, is put in place, then that can lead To an arrogant spirit. It's as if having this person in this position. Or having this law passed. Is all of a sudden going to you know. Bring in the kingdom of God so to speak. Or if your candidate does not get elected. And the policy this passed is not the policy you approve of. There's great distress or worry. Instead of saying you know. Yes, that's not what I would want, or I don't think that's the best direction, but, you know, my hope is in Christ and in the kingdom of God, not in the person or the policy, as if that is going to somehow bring in or somehow speed up the kingdom of God. So first of all, as followers of Christ, you know, we must realize that regardless of who is put in positions of leadership in our city or our state or our nation that has really no bearing on the thriving of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is king. And he said he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I would assume that would also include any type of person or policy that's put in place. And I think you can look at history and even see, some governments are friendly toward Christianity, some are hostile, yet in both places, Christianity can thrive. And people can know and grow in Christ. So what does it look like for us as Christians? What What is our role in government? How do we subject ourselves to the government? Well, Peter writes in verses 15 and 17, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And what he's saying there is, there are some people that are just not going to understand why you do what you do. You know, if you're a Christian, if Christ is your king, you're making decisions based on who Christ is and what He's said to do. And so there are some decisions you make that they're just not going to understand. So there's an ignorance there. And what that means is, they just haven't had the same uh, saving experience, the saving grace that you've had. So they're seeing life, they're seeing reality through a different lens than you are. And so what he's saying is, In light of that, we need to do good so we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So you may not know the motivation why we do what we do, but we have good behavior. We're actually good citizens. And that was the argument of the early church to the Roman Empire. You know, Christian theologians would write the emperor and say, we are actually good citizens. You should probably stop persecuting us because we're actually good citizens. Uh, I mean, we stay married. We take care of the poor. Uh, we don't cause trouble. People rob us and we don't take it to court. This is an actual document to the, to the emperor of Rome. And so the idea is that we do good because of what Christ has done for us. And by doing that, we can put to silence those who may not understand why we do what we do. And basically, Peter is reiterating for us in these verses what he told us earlier in verse 12 when he gave us that introduction to this whole section of how we are to live out our faith in the world. And in verse 12 he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So how do we do good? How do we manifest our subjection to the government as Christians? Well, that means we obey the government. That means we obey the law. That means we, we pay our taxes. That means we obey our police officers. You know, we were, we were going down the interstate the other day, and my kids were sitting in the back, and uh, they just got curious about speed limits. And so they were asking what the speed limit is on this road, and I was explaining how different roads have different speed limits, and even the same road can have a different speed limit. you know. And, so we're going down the interstate, about to cross over the Savannah River. You know, it's fifty-five, then it's sixty-five, and seventy. And so we're talking about how do you figure out the speed limit? I said, so, well, there's this sign, and so we're looking for the sign. They see it, and then what they did, what do they do? Oh, the speed limit's seventy. And so then they look at the speedometer. And They're wondering, I wonder if Dad's going the speed limit. You know, well. They told me if I were if I was you know either too low or too high they made sure I knew you know keep it right around that seventy mark going uh, toward Granville, and so why should I obey the speed limit? Is it because that I think well you know seventy is a great speed to go in or or should I just say well no I don't think seventy is great I think we should go about ninety five down the interstate. No, you know no one consulted me about what the speed limit should be. They just said it, and they had maybe some research behind it and whatnot, but they just set the speed limit and this is what it is. Well, I obey that out of respect. I'm sub- I am willingly submitting myself to that speed limit, whether I think it's a great speed limit or the worst speed limit ever. You know, it's, I'm submitting myself to it. And my kids were keeping tabs on that, making sure I did that and didn't speed. Now, if I were speeding and I were to get caught, and I were to get a ticket, then I would pay that ticket because I was wrong. I broke the law and I should pay up. It means that, you know, we submit ourselves to the decisions of our city council, of our mayor. It means that we're, we should be good citizens. Now I want to bring one matter of context from our passage this morning. Because I know we're probably thinking to ourselves a number of different thoughts, maybe a couple of questions too. But I want to bring just one aspect of the context to your mind this morning um, that relates both to Peter and Paul when they were writing this letter. You know, as Peter and Paul, they're they're pinning these letters, 1 Peter and and the the letter to the Romans, and they're saying, you know, subject yourselves to the government authorities, honor the emperor. While they're pinning those words, do you know who the emperor was? Nero. Nero. One of the worst emperors ever. It was under Nero that Peter would be crucified upside down. It would be under Nero that Paul would be beheaded. And yet they say, honor the emperor. Now, our government's not perfect. Our city's not perfect. We got challenges. But I would think if Paul and Peter can subject themselves, submit themselves, respect Nero, surely we can respect our government and our governmental leaders. You know, I wonder how we would write that letter. You know, if we were Peter writing that letter to these churches spread out through modern day Turkey and we got to that point where it said, honor the emperor. I wonder what we would write there. I wonder if we would have have been as charitable as Peter. Or perhaps we would have thrown in maybe some other denigrating little adjectives about the emperor. And I'll just be honest with you. I think in the church today, especially in the United States, I think one of our biggest issues is disrespecting the authorities that are over us. There's there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with them. But I think we have a problem with disrespecting them. And for no other reason, we should respect those in authority over us because they're made in the image of God. That's why Peter could say at the, end of verse at the end of verse 17, he says, Honor everyone, honor the emperor. At the very least, because they're made in the image of God. They deserve your respect and your honor. Even if you don't disagree with them. So I think when we speak or we type out hateful phrases or we try to attack those in authority it's hard for me to see how those who don't know christ can see our good works and glorify god i I think that's going to cloud it and so we don't have to agree but i do think we need to respect those who are in authority like i said i know there are some questions going through your mind perhaps some thoughts and at least one question probably relates to our third question that I want to answer this morning. And that is, what do we do when governmental rule and Christian teaching disagree? What do we do? I'm going to answer that in two parts. The first part is that, is that our leaders, our leadership, they can hold views and they can pass laws that do not agree with Christian teaching but still require our submission. In other words, they can pass laws and they can have views that are not Christian and yet they still maintain a legitimate place to govern. Their government is legitimate. For example, all throughout our country, abortion is legal. Now as I get in this conversation, let me preface it by saying this. I know people who have had abortions. and Perhaps some of you have had abortions or know someone who has. All I'm saying is, let's, I want to talk about how we relate to our government and the laws they pass. And I'm going to come from the position where abortion is wrong, according to Scripture. Now, if you've had an abortion, I want you to hear this, though, before I get into this logic. And that is, Christ died for all sin. All sin. There is no sin greater than the grace of God. And so if that's you, I hope you don't hear me condemning you, but I hope you hear that Christ offers you forgiveness and grace and newness of life. With that said, all throughout our country, our government says abortion is legal. Now, does this mean that if you are pregnant, that you must kill your baby in the womb? Well, of course not. It just allows women to to pursue that procedure if they want to. It makes it legal to do so. So should we no longer regard our government as legitimate and no longer subject ourselves to our government since it's passed such laws? And I would argue I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because the government is not forcing people to have abortions. It's just making it legal. So in other words, yes they are holding a position, passing a law that, that many Christians do not agree with. Yet at the same time, I still think as Christians we need to submit to our government. And not you know, take up arms and rebel against our government because they passed such a law. Now the second part of my answer builds on that. And that is, if our country were to pass a law that would make it illegal for us to do what we are clearly told to do in Scripture, then that would warrant civil disobedience. For example, if our government passed a law and said that you are not allowed to have more than one child, and if you get pregnant with your second child, you must have an abortion. Well, if they passed such a law, then I think it would be appropriate to disobey the government. And I want to give you a few examples from Scripture that I think illustrate this. The first one is from Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, in verse 15, it says, And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, One of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, and the reason they did this is because the, the Hebrews were multiplying they were in slavery in Egypt, and the Egyptians were begin began to be fearful, and so they were going to, you know, order the midwives, those who delivered babies, to do to do what they just command here in this verse, verse sixteen. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, you shall live, or she shall live. But listen to verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Another example is in Acts chapter 5, verse 27. It says, And when they had brought them and set them before the council, he's talking about uh, followers of Jesus here, the apostles. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Talking about Jesus' blood. And then verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Now I think both examples here show us that although we respect those in authority over us, at the same time we realize that they too are under authority, namely God's authority. And so therefore, if a lesser authority is telling us to do something contrary to a greater authority, then we must respectfully disobey the lesser authority in order to be faithful to the greater authority. So we see that although our governmental leaders have authority over us, it's not absolute authority. Now listen to this. We are subject, we are to subject ourselves to those in authority over us unless that authority is telling us we can't do what we should do or we must do what we shouldn't do. Let me me say that again. We are to subject ourselves to those in authority over us unless that authority is telling us we can't do what we should do or we must do what we shouldn't do. And the whole basis of this is that Christ is our king. If you're a Christian, Christ is your greater authority. He is your king. And if Christ is your king, this brings perspective on how we view reality and how we view our government. And if Jesus is king, and if his kingdom is already being established, we do not have to take up the sword to further his agenda. You remember what happened to Peter when he did that. He took up the sword. Peter, know, Jesus tells him, put down the sword. One scholar said it like this. He says, Jesus came not to destroy people, but to save them. To accomplish that, he had to defeat the great oppressor, Satan. Satan. He had to redeem sinners from the guilt of sin. His hands did not grasp a sword, but were stretched out to be pierced with nails. He did not lift the spear, but received the thrust of the spear in his side. He did not come to bring judgment, but to bear it for us. It's only through subjecting yourself to King Jesus that you can have your, your sins forgiven and you can experience the freedom that Peter's talking about in this passage. It's only through Christ that we can have our sin forgiven and be reconciled to God and inherit eternal life. And it's in that freedom as Christians that we walk. And it's in this freedom that we seek to be good citizens of our city. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word, how it challenges us to seek first Your kingdom and Your righteousness. What well, I pray this morning that we would evaluate our hearts, our behavior, in light of who our King really is and His kingdom ethic as it's written in the Scripture. Lord, help our lives to reflect our allegiance to Christ. And Lord, by our good works, may it lead to Your glorification by those around us who don't know You. Lord, help us to be good citizens both of Your kingdom as well as this city that You've put us in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.